Section 15 of Mark Twain, A Biography. Part 1, 1900-1907. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, A Biography. By Albert Bigelow Payne. Chapter 226. Was it Heaven or Hell? The Christmas number of Harper's Magazine for 1902 contained the story, Was it Heaven or Hell? and it immediately brought a flood of letters to its author from grateful readers on both sides of the ocean. An Englishman wrote, I want to thank you for writing so pathetic and so profoundly true a story. And an American declared it to be the best short story ever written. Another letter said, I have learned to love those maiden liars, love and weep over them then put them beside dante's beatrice in paradise there were plenty of such letters but there was one of a different sort it was a letter from a man who had but recently gone through almost precisely the experience narrated in the tale his dead daughter had even borne the same name helen she had died of typhus while her mother was prostrated with the same malady, and the deception had been maintained in precisely the same way, even to the fictitiously written letters. Clemens replied to this letter, acknowledging the striking nature of the coincidence it related, and added that, had he invented the story, he would have believed it a case of mental telegraphy. I was merely telling a true story, just as it had been told to me by one who well knew the mother and the daughter and all the beautiful and pathetic details i was living in the house where it had happened three years before and i put it on paper at once while it was fresh in my mind and its pathos still straining at my heartstrings Clemens did not guess that the coincidences were not yet complete, that within a month the drama of the tale would be enacted in his own home. In his notebook, under the date of December 24, 1902, he wrote, Jean was hit with a chill. Clara was completing her watch in her mother's room, and there was no one able to force Jean to go to bed. As a result, she is pretty ill today, fever and high temperature. Three days later he added, It was pneumonia. For five days Jean's temperature ranged between 103 and 104 and two-fifths, till this morning when it got down to 101. She looks like an escaped survivor of a forest fire. For six days now my story in the Christmas Harpers, Was It Heaven or Hell, has been enacted in this household. Every day Clara and the nurses have lied about Jean to her mother, describing the fine times she is having outdoors in the winter sports. That proved a hard, trying winter in the Clemens home, and the burden of it fell chiefly, indeed almost entirely, upon Clara Clemens. Mrs. Clemens became still more frail, and no other member of the family, not even her husband, was allowed to see her for longer than the briefest interval. 
yet the patient was all the more anxious to know the news and daily it had to be prepared chiefly invented for her comfort in an account which clemens once set down of the siege and season of unveracity as he called it he said clara stood a daily watch of three or four hours and hers was a hard office indeed daily she sealed up in her heart a dozen dangerous truths and thus saved her mother's life and hope and happiness with holy lies she had never told her mother a lie in her life before and i may almost say that she never told her a truth afterward it was fortunate for us all that clara's reputation for truthfulness was so well established in her mother's mind it was our daily protection from disaster the mother never doubted clara's word clara could tell her large improbabilities without exciting any suspicion whereas if i tried to market even a small and simple one the case would have been different i was never able to get a reputation like clara's mrs clemens questioned clara every day concerning jean's health spirits clothes employments and amusements and how she was enjoying herself and clara furnished the information right along in minute detail every word of it false of course every day she had to tell how jean dressed and in time she got so tired of using jean's existing clothes over and over again and trying to get new effects out of them that finally as a relief to her hard-worked invention she got to adding imaginary clothes to jean's wardrobe and probably would have doubled it and troubled it if a warning note in her mother's comments had not admonished her that she was spending more money on these spectral gowns and things than the family income justified some portions of detailed accounts of clara's busy days of this period as written at the time by clemens to twichell and to mrs crane are eminently worth preserving to mrs crane clara does not go to her monday lesson in new york today her mother having seemed not so well through the night but forgets that fact and enters her mother's room where she has no business to be toward train time dressed in a wrapper livy why clara aren't you going to your lesson clara almost caught yes livy in that costume clara oh no livy well you can't make your train it's impossible clara i know but i'm going to take the other one livy indeed that won't do you'll be ever so much too late for your lesson clara no the lesson time has been put an hour later livy satisfied then suddenly but clara that train and the, the late lesson together will make you late to mrs hapgood's luncheon 
Clara. No, the train leaves fifteen minutes earlier than it used to. Livy, satisfied. Tell Mrs. Hapgood, etc., 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 which Clara promises to do. Clara, dear, after the luncheon, I hate to put this on you, but could you do two or three little shopping errands for me? Clara. Oh, it won't trouble me a bit. I can do it. Takes a list of the things she is to buy, a list which she will presently hand to another. At three or four p.m., Clara takes the things brought from New York, studies over her part a little, then goes to her mother's room. Livy, it's very good of you, dear. Of course, if I had known it was going to be so snowy and drizzly and sloppy, I wouldn't have asked you to buy them. Did you get wet? Clara, oh, nothing to hurt. Livy, you took a cab both ways? Clara, not from the station to the lesson. The weather was good enough till that was over. Livy, well, now, tell me everything Mrs. Hapgood said. Clara tells her a long yarn, avoiding novelties and surprises and anything likely to inspire questions difficult to answer, and, of course, detailing the menu, for if it had been the feeding of the five thousand, Livy would have insisted on knowing what kind of bread it was and how the fishes were served. By and by, while talking of something else, Livy, clams, in the end of December, are you sure it was clams? Clara, I, I didn't say cl I meant blue points, Livy tranquilized. It seemed odd. What is Jean doing? Clara, she said she was going to do a little typewriting. Livy, has she been out today? Clara, only a moment, right after luncheon. She was determined to go out again, but... Livy, how did you know she was out? Clara, saving herself in time. Katie told me. She was determined to go out again in the rain and snow, but I persuaded her to stay in. Livy, with moving and grateful admiration. Clara, you are wonderful. The wise watch you keep over Jean, and the influence you have over her, it's so lovely of you, and I tied here and can't take care of her myself. And she goes on with these undeserved praises till Clara is expiring with shame. To Twitchell, I am to see Livy a moment every afternoon until she has another bad night, and I stand in dread, for with all my practice I realize that in a sudden emergency I am but a poor clumsy liar, whereas a fine, alert, and capable emergency liar is the only sort that is worth anything in a sick chamber. Now, Joe, just see what reputation can do. All Clara's life she has told Livy the truth, and now the reward comes. Clara lies to her three and a half hours every day, and Livy takes it all at par, whereas even 
when I tell her a truth, it isn't worth much without corroboration. Soon my brief visit is due. I've just been up listening at Livy's door. 5 p.m. A great disappointment. I was sitting outside Livy's door waiting. Clara came out a minute ago and said, Livy is not so well, and the nurse can't let me see her today. That pathetic drama was to continue in some degree for many a long month. All that winter and spring Mrs. Clemens kept but a frail hold on life. Clemens wrote little, and refused invitations everywhere he could. He spent his time largely in waiting for the two-minute period each day when he could stand at the bedfoot and say a few words to the invalid, and he confined his writing mainly to the comforting, affectionate messages which he was allowed to push under her door. He was always waiting there long before the moment he was permitted to enter. Her illness and her helplessness made manifest what Howells has fittingly characterized as his beautiful and tender loyalty to her, which was the most moving quality of his most faithful soul. End of chapter 226 Was it Heaven or Hell? Read by John Greenman